So I was uh, pretty blessed to open my email this morning and see this email from Doug, uh, uh, who is in Canada and, uh, from his own description, is part of a tiny home church uh, of four adults. And um, if I understood correctly, uh, some of these videos uh, provide a uh, basis of some conversations and discussions in the group. And, um, and, and for that, I'm just blessed. I'm just very thankful that, that, uh, that you'd be able to, you know, glean something from this or would provide a basis for some discussion and, and that kind of thing. It's just nice to know we can be connected over the distance that uh, exists between Canada and Tennessee. And uh, because of technology and such and, and that kind of thing, we can we can enjoy that together. So praise the Lord for that. I'm, I'm just glad to hear that. Uh, I'll also say I'm, I was really uh, very blessed that you're a part of a home church. Uh, I, um, uh, I've always believed that as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, that the house church is going to become a really pervasive expression of Christian fellowship uh, in the days ahead. And um, so... In my opinion, you're kind of ahead of the curve. I think that's uh, that's where we're all kind of headed at some point, should the Lord tarry. And so I, I just think it's beautiful that you have that. So praise the Lord, and uh, and uh, it's just awesome. So my prayers for you that you know God would continue to bless that fellowship, and that you know it's it's so much not just doing church; it's obviously being church with one another, and that's just great. So God just help you to maintain that beautiful, sweet uh intimacy of fellowship and, and purity and simplicity and that 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 is um, so often characteristic of the small fellowship so that's awesome um well let me uh, also share doug asked a question in regard to uh the subject uh and the expression really that god is in control what do we mean by that when we consider that in light of the evil that exists in the world um you know is evil attributable to satan or is god somehow sort of responsible for that in some way if he's in control then why does evil continue and that kind of thing it's it's a it's one of the questions of the ages right it's uh if god is so good why does he allow evil in the world if god is in control then why does uh evil persist in that kind of thing you know uh, years ago uh rabbi um uh, Kushner wrote a book called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And his basic, you know, response to that in his book was that God is either all-loving but not all-powerful, or he's all-powerful but not all-loving, because he can't be both. Because if he were all-loving and all-powerful, then all the terrible things that happen to people in the world wouldn't happen. He wouldn't allow it to happen because he'd be too loving to, and he would also be powerful enough to stop it. Uh, I would argue that there's a lot of holes in that argument, but, you know, uh, starting with the premise, there are no good people. Jesus himself said there's none good but God. Um, but, you know, maybe that lends itself to a good entrance point into this discussion. Um, you know, when we talk about, um, uh, you know, the idea of, um, of God being in control, it's a good discussion to have because it helps us sort of get a sense of how we understand theology and how we even understand, like, terminology. For example, um, when we say God is good, it's it's important to understand that God isn't living up to a standard that exists outside of himself that is called good, but rather God is the source of good. He's the fountain of good. Good is defined as it is because he has deemed it so. Um, when we talk about God being all-powerful, uh, we generally mean by that that God is um, able to do anything. And we sometimes say that, right? God can do anything. Well, that's not, strictly speaking, true. God can't do some things. He can't do evil. He can't be evil. He can't be less than perfect. He can't stop being good. 
um, you know, those kinds of things. And, and so when we use these terminologies, it's important that we do understand their limitations and sometimes just our maybe misunderstanding of what a term might really mean. And so um, <clears throat> just some, some basic foundational stuff to bring into this discussion, which has been going on forever. Again, this is one of the questions of the ages that uh, is important for us to consider. So, um, you know, Doug rightly raises the question, well, isn't evil really attributed to the God of this world, Satan? Uh, and I would argue that yes, uh, uh, certainly. And I think the Bible bears out that God uh, is good and is not ever in um, uh, is is never going to change. You know, He dwells in a light that is unapproachable. Uh, Behold, I change not, says the Lord. You know, His character, His nature is uh, something that is eternally consistent. Uh, James says in uh, James one uh, thirteen. When one is tempted, let him not say, I'm tempted by God, because God is neither tempted nor does he tempt. Um, you know, again, Jesus in talking to the rich young ruler, uh, why do you call me good? There's none good but God, right? So um, we know that uh, God is good, and there's no shadow of turning. There is no uh, concern that one day he'll wake up on the wrong side of the bed and suddenly he'll be evil or something. He's not capricious. He doesn't uh, just... Uh, do things willy-nilly. He's all-knowing, which means uh, he knows all things, not just in the sense that he's learned what all, all is going to happen, but he has always had all knowledge completely at all times, in all ways. And even when we use terms like foreknowledge, that doesn't just mean that God knows in advance what's going to happen, but it also connects with the idea of his ordaining things to happen, which again brings us to the question of, is God in control even when it comes to things like evil? Um, and so, and, and, and by the way, Doug does rightly sort of describe this as being part of a theological and philosophical discussion, and uh, it is very much that, you know. And so, how do we reconcile that? How do we address that? Well, uh, the w evil exists in the world not because God created it, but God did, in fact, allow in the course of man having the freedom to choose whether or not to obey or disobey in the garden, or for that matter, Satan to obey or disobey or to rebel or remain faithful in uh, in heaven before the fall, uh, before his uh, fall, um, God gave space for that certain level of autonomy in his creation to decide. And when, in the case of Satan or in the case of man, the choice to uh, rebel or disobey came up, and they did, that brought evil into the world, and God permitted that uh, in, in his giving of the freedom of autonomy to make those kinds of choices, uh, there had to be the allowance, therefore, of, of those choices. And so, and therefore, not only the choices, but the consequences. Now, there, there comes a point at which this is unanswerable. Well, why did God create man in the first place if he knew this was all going to happen? Well, at that point, we don't have an answer to the question. We know it's not that God just wanted to have uh, people around, like he needed something. God is self-sufficient, even within the the sense of, of unity within the community of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. There was this divine fellowship within the very being of God, who is one in being, yet somehow eternally existent as Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, so it wasn't like he needed fellowship with somebody. Um, you could say, well, God is loving, and love needs to be expressed. We always want to be careful that we don't somehow may mean that you know God was lacking in some way. I had no way to express love, and so therefore I had to create man in order to satisfy some need I had. That's not true. That's not, that's not the nature and character of God. 
And so we want to be careful when we sort of try to explain these things in this way because we end up creating more problems than we're solving. Um, at some point, the question is unanswerable. Why did God create man at all if he knew that they were, in fact, going to fall and rebel and this kind of thing? Why did he create the angels if he knew one of them was going to ultimately uh, rebel and that kind of thing? There's lots of room to speculate, but we need to understand it is speculation. But when it comes to the question at hand, evil existence in the world, is it attributable, attributable to God or is it attributable to the God of this world, Satan? I would argue, uh, in agreement, uh, as Doug was saying, that it is attributable to Satan, but God does use, or I like, I prefer the word govern evil that is happening in this world in such a way as to use it to accomplish his ultimate purposes. There's a passage in Romans 8.28 that probably we have memorized, we've heard many times, um, you know, uh, all things, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and, the, and are the called according to his purpose. We often use that phrase to help us sort of cope with, you know, difficult circumstances we're in, or maybe again, we're trying to reconcile, you know, something terrible that's happened to us or someone we know, and we say that. Um, and it's important to remember that while on the one hand, that is certainly a, a truth in regard to our immediate circumstances and, and <coughs> what it is we're trying to reconcile in the moment immediately, but that passage is also part of a, <coughs> a larger passage that deals not just with the immediate good that God may be working out. There may not be an immediate good per se. I would argue, you know, that's kind of iffy. But, but certainly at the very least, in the context of the overall passage, running all the way through verse 39, and really even into chapters 9 through 11 in that, um, that God is working out an ultimate good that all things are working out for good in an ultimate sense for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. In other words, <coughs> there may be an immediate good that he's working out, but for sure there is an ultimate good. And that has to do with your relationship with him, your eternity, uh, your redemption, uh, ultimately uh, building you into all that he desires for you to be and all those kind of things. Some of those things don't happen in ways that you and I would consider to be quote-unquote good, but God is saying in that passage that the good that he is calling good and working out as good is something that is having a deeper or maybe more lasting consequence and effect in your life and mine that, that is necessary uh, in regard to why we go through those things. So even evil, uh, as we see it as evil and as, you know, is undeniably evil, um, in in. In every respect, God is able to ultimately turn that evil to good. Much like, uh, for example, one great example this is uh, is uh, Joseph, right? We all remember Joseph in uh, Genesis chapter 50. He's ascended to power and authority in Egypt, second under Pharaoh, and his brothers are there, and he's brought them in this this clever sort of way. He's brought his brothers to be in his whole family to be there with him. And, uh, and at the end of it, when his brothers realize who Joseph is, and they realize he's alive, and they remember what they've done, and they're just feeling like now that he's in power, he's going to destroy them and get back at them for what they've done. Instead of getting revenge, he, uh, he says to them, look, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, Joseph, during that period of time, may not have seen much of the good at all that God was doing, although in the immediate, God was preparing Joseph, moving the pieces on the board to put Joseph where he wanted him to be. And so good was happening all along the way. But the ultimate good that Joseph finally saw 
was that God had ultimately put him in a position so he could, he could deliver his family and save uh, his whole family from, from famine and, and all that kind of thing, and even really save much of the world from the famine that had gone on at that time. So we don't, we are prone to calling evil evil without the understanding that God is actually using that evil for good. It doesn't mean it isn't evil, but it does mean that God is governing it in such a way that it is becoming useful for a purpose that he is ordaining. And so he is not the source of evil. He is not the purveyor of evil. He's not the propagator of evil. Uh, he's not the causer of evil, but he does, within his own divine prerogative, use that evil to accomplish an ultimate good, which is an indication of his power, his sovereignty and such, because even in spite of the evil that man tries to um, uh, foist upon his fellow man, uh, in spite of all the different kinds of evil, and I don't say this lightly, I mean, I'm thinking of some pretty heinous evil that I've read about and am aware of in this world. When I say this, I'm not saying it in a light way. Um, but at the end of the day, like it says in Isaiah 46.10, God will accomplish his purposes that he has ordained. And even evil will not stop that from happening, but he will ultimately turn that evil around and use it to accomplish good. So when we talk about terminology, theology, uh, we want to make sure that we understand. And, and as best as we can, we are as clear as possible in defining terms, in explaining what we mean, because in that clarity, um, we we tend to remove the ambiguity that oftentimes a discussion like this can get lost in. Uh, and so it's a great discussion to have, uh, but I and I and I don't think we can be exhaustive in dealing with it. But I do think that 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 this gives us a basis by which to then engage in the more particular examples of evil in trying to understand how they ultimately um, can be turned around for good. So I guess I just will stop there for now and just let that be some food for thought um, in your own discussion on that. And, uh, and my, my hope is that it provides a little bit of a basis uh, from which to have an ongoing discussion with this. It's not a question that we're going to reconcile thoroughly in every circumstance that comes up. Uh, because when we think about things like, you know, huge things like the Holocaust or uh, or children, you know, being trafficked, you know, these are these are horrible, horrible evils and atrocities, you know, and that's just a couple out of, you know, myriad kinds of atrocities and, and, and evils and wickednesses that we could consider and discuss. But to understand on a sort of a foundational level that this evil that exists is not God's doing by any means. As a matter of fact, one day when he finally does wrap up human history, all of these evils and the purveyors of them will be dealt with justly. Uh, they will get theirs, you know. Um, as a matter of fact, if I just kind of throw a little addendum on here, if, you know, for those who say there can't be a God, because if there was a God, this kind of evil wouldn't exist. Well, you need to remember then, if there's no God, then there is no justice for people like Hitler who, you know, committed suicide or, or died at his, you know, mistress's hand or whatever it was, you know, however it ends up he ended up dying. You know, then, then all of those who pervade that evil in the world and wickedness and everything and died without ever coming to justice and that kind of thing never did. They got away from it. They got away with it. Now, that doesn't necessitate God. That could just be true if there was no God. But I would argue that, that in fact, there is justice uh, upon those who are guilty of such things. I do 
uh, think that in fact uh, you know the uh, fate doesn't exist but rather instead God exists and he ultimately is working things out to an ordained end and even in spite of the wickedness that uh, some people have brought about in this world because of the fall and because of the influence of Satan God himself actually can even turn the worst of those things and use it as something that can bring about an ultimate good where where otherwise there would only be dismay and and crushing despair over the uh, again wickedness and uh, and such uh, that that you know that exists so again uh, it's a discussion that is far greater than uh, any one discussion would ever exhaustively deal with but i do hope again that that this provides at least some meaningful basis upon which to have that discussion which is one that again should be had among believers and even believers with unbelievers uh, in trying to reconcile these things because I think God has a testimony and a witness within that discussion uh, as he causes us to understand his place in working all things together for good uh, for those who love God and call according to his purpose so Anyway, so that being said, I guess I'll just leave it there. Um, it may be that this raises some additional questions. If you want to uh, share them, you can always do that on our YouTube channel in the comments section, or you can email like Doug did at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And um, I'll be glad to, to do my best to try and address them. So for what it's worth, I hope this was helpful. But Father, we thank you and praise you for just being good to us. We thank you that you are, in fact, good, and within you no evil resides. Uh, we thank you that we can always count on you as the one who is good, uh, in spite of a world that has fallen apart and is uh, marked by evil and wickedness. We know that we can always run to you, the one who is who is and always will be, remaining fully and completely, without any shadow of turning, good and just and right and righteous uh, and loving and, and, and all of these things, Father. We thank you that these are not things that you live up to. These are things that you, by your very nature, are. And we just praise you that we have a Father in heaven who is these things. So, Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to, uh, on the one hand, have these kinds of discussions, to consider and to um, wrestle with and mull over these kinds of things. And we pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom as we turn to Scripture for these things, to, to lay the foundations for our understanding of how these things fit into the context of your overall purposes and plans. Help us, Father, not to uh, not to charge you foolishly, uh, as, uh, as so many have over the years, but rather, uh, like Job, even in the midst of circumstances he didn't even uh, have insight into how to understand, uh, would not charge you foolishly, but rather instead... Uh, understood that you give and you take away you do what's right and all of this and so father we just thank you and praise you for all of your goodnesses toward us we thank you for giving us uh the, the assurances and the promises that we stand on uh, we understand that this life is not forever and so one day we'll be in your presence and questions like these will have uh, been reconciled and, and maybe we'll have even a deeper understanding of these things when we stand in your presence so we look forward to that with great anticipation but thank you for this father we love you and praise you and just ask all this in Jesus' name.